In the wake of ISIS attacks on Christians in the Middle East, the Catholic faith in that region is starting to emerge from the brink of extinction. We'll learn more about religious persecution in Iraq and about the aggressive secular persecution going on in the Western world. As we speak with our special guest, the Most Reverend Bashar Mahdi Warda, the Chaldean Archbishop of Erbil, Iraq. I'm Father Dave Pavonk, and I'm the president of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Father Dave Pavanka. I'm president of Franciscan University of Steubenville. And we're talking about religious persecution in the Middle East. I'm joined by our panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, professor of theology here at Franciscan University, as well as Dr. Scott Hahn, also professor of theology here at the university. We are very pleased today to welcome our special guest, the most Reverend Bashar Warda, the Chaldean Archbishop in Erbil, Iraq. Since his election as bishop in 2010, he has worked tirelessly to reestablish the Christian presence in Iraq, including support for Christian refugees, promoting interreligious dialogue, and founding of the Catholic University in Erbil. I had the great distinction and blessing to be able to be with the Archbishop for the Holy Father's visit, and it's a blessing to have you back with us. Thank you, Abuna. Thank you, Father. Of course. The first question, I, or the statement, and just allow you to reflect, when we were discussing, as the Holy Father landed in Iraq, I asked you, what will it look like for success in the Holy Father's visit? And I was struck by what you said. It said, uh, success has already taken place because we're talking about Christ in Iraq a conversation that most people in the world haven't had, but that's the world that you live in. Yes, uh, as I shared with you, that uh, what's strange that history, uh, I mean, Christianity there in, in Iraq, it's uh, almost from the beginning of the second century. And uh, when, when all uh, Muslims and other, all Iraqi students, when they study throughout uh, all of their studies, they never encounter anything about the history of Christianity, the contribution of the Christians, the scholars, uh, teachers, philosophers, uh, doctors to, to that part of the world, never. And um, for two weeks prior to Pope's visit, all the Iraqi channels, we are talking about over 50, 70 uh, local channels, newspaper, radio, were really interested in, in having a priest, a bishop, a patriarch for interview. And for that, uh, Iraqis started to know, wow, Christians are there here, and they started to know about shrines and, and also about monasteries. Mm -hmm. Some of the uh, what we call historical sites in this in the in the southern part of the country were Christians, and some of, of course Jews like uh, Kefel of uh, Ezekiel the the prophet, Nahum the prophet. All of this started really to be told in in, in kind of what we call it was kind of. Uh, a formation uh, for for the for the all Iraqis, and then uh, also they started to talk about the persecution of the Christians in the middle of all of this uh, really violent, uh, this, I mean, war that was there, uh, the bombing of over sixty churches and shrines, killing over one thousand Christians and 
killing priests, bishops. So all of this was part of the whole, what we called, preparation for, for Pope's visit. Yeah. I, I wonder if I could underscore um, uh, the implicit irony of what you've just said. Because here is a nation that has a lively curiosity about the coming of the Holy Father and all things Catholic. And, and that event sort of awakens it. But alongside that, here is a country, some of whose members are determined to exterminate uh, Catholics, Christians, eradicate uh, every possible piece of evidence that would tie Iraq back to uh, the faith, which was there from the beginning. That's pretty amazing. Yes, and what's amazing during what we call the last hundred years of the history of modern Iraq, we've seen a lot of disputes, wars, and violence, and talking about 2003 and up today, and lots of the violence was there. The only person who was able to unite the country for five days was the, His Holiness. Yeah, amazing. That's, I mean, right. that's yes. amazing. Yeah. Everyone, everyone really celebrated his, his visit. And uh, just once he left, the prime minister called for the dialogue uh, among the among all political right. parties in the spirit of. And His Holiness was really powerful in his speech also to the Iraqi politicians. There was nothing like political correctness in, in, in that speech about the need for reconciliation, fighting corruption, prepare, I mean, helping the young people for jobs. I mean, that's, that's the spirit that, that was all there. I mean, yeah, you're right. Oh, the same politicians, or I would not say directly, but at least all of those groups yeah. who were there, this time they had to stop and right. think again. I see. You, know, uh, he goes there, you know, he goes there as a public celebrity, obviously very famous, world famous. But you can't help but wonder if, spiritually speaking, he goes there as the sower of the seed of the gospel. Without even preaching the gospel, Pope Francis was embodying Christ. So you said for five days. I have yep. to ask, what about day number six and seven and eight? I mean, the seeds are planted, but there's so many different kinds of soil, rocks, thorns, thistles, birds, and so on. Um, I have to stop here about the model of dialogue that Pope Francis really have, I mean, giving us. And um, he's not the person who will wait to be invited to the table to discuss interfaith, interreligious dialogue. No, no. He is the man who leaves Vatican, his, the space that he knows, the comfortable that's there, and goes to the other. He went to Al-Azhar, for example, yeah. and then came to, to Najaf. And in this, oh. he would go and awaken the goodness, the hospitality, in the others, because the other, he cannot, it's either he will refuse you or he will welcome you and show you the goodness that's in there. You see, I mean, that this is really very special and um, I would say not just courageous, it's it's authentic. It's, it's the kind of, it's a very gospel way. Yeah. God is coming to yeah. us yes. and yeah. telling us the good news that as a human being, also we have something to share with him and we could help him. 
right. help God in, in that. So the dialogue has continued after his departure. Yes, yes. I mean, we've, uh, we have, I mean, received calls and uh, invitations to continue on that spirit as well. And, well, you expressed it in, in such a vivid uh, and dramatic way that because he was there, the presence of Christ was somehow confirmed, almost institutionalized for at least five magical days. Imagine how demoralizing it would have been if he had refused to come. And there was a, a lot of talk that maybe it was ill-advised uh, of the Pope to make this uh, pastoral visit. What would, what would have happened? Uh, I mean, they've asked us this question, I mean, because, uh, because of the pandemic. Uh, I mean, we were not worried. I myself, I was not worried about, uh, about safety. I mean, we know that in a such moment, uh, all of us would really give the best that we can, even if we are indif I mean, indifferent with each other. But the issue was about the coronavirus. That was the, the most, uh, what we called, uh, important aspect that should be taken care. And we tried our best. And it became really very hard when the nuncio got the, the COVID oh, oh just my, before I, the crisis. Right, but you see there, uh, I've told uh, my people, well, if it's going to happen, there is God's will in that. So we have just, just to accept it as it is. Be prepared that probably it would cancel. And there are some legitimate issues. I mean, no one would really say no, because, I mean, corona was all over, all over the place. But if it would happen, then there is something from God in, in that. But Archbishop, just speak to the, a church that had suffered so greatly and, and what it was that the Holy Father was coming to. I mean, you shared so many stories about the people and the suffering and the families and the priests, and, and that this is what the Holy Father was coming to. What is it like to live in a world like that? I mean, I remember asking you about priests who, who had died and you start, who were martyred and you started just counting them. I mean, what is it like to live there? I mean, life of the Christianity in that part of the world is always like this. I mean, difficulties is always like, I mean, there, there was never, never what we called a peaceful time. Even when people would say, yes, uh, during Saddam's regime, there was some kind of peacefulness in a sense, but come on, I mean, preaching in a parish and in, in, in a church and being aware of five, six intelligence inside the community that they would report to the government or to each uh, against each other if they would not report. I mean, we were lucky, for example, when, when, I, when I started, I mean, serving as a parish priest in Baghdad in, two, in, in the year 2000, that one of the, I mean, intelligence was a Christian uh, who he came and said, Abuna, Father, just be aware that we are many in this. I, I could tell you who I am, but I don't know who is there as well oh. to report about your, your preaching, uh, your homily, and about me, against me, if I will not report. So just mm. try to really speak about the gospel, about <laughs> whatever you can. But that was the environment in, in, in a way. I mean, yes, there was no what to call physical persecution, but you live in it and you could talk about. But usually it's, it's um, even if I speak about the history, our ancestors found a way, found always a way through education to reach to the others. 
I mean, we were always uh, the first translators of the, of the philosophical text and introduced the philosophy to the Arab worlds, came with, with Islam, and then established the House of Wisdom, Beit al-Hikmah, in, in the ninth century, and were doctors. And then coming to the modern history of Iraq, many schools, speaking of, for example, the Jesuit uh, fathers who established the school of Baghdad, Baghdad College. Yeah, education was always a way out. I mean, because as someone said, yes, you could win the war with, with weapons, but you could really build peace with ideas. And that was always education as a bridge of reconciliation and reaching to, to the others. So I would say there was never a time when we say, yeah, we are settled in, in a way. You know, what I find really astonishing is that you suggest that the, the visit may have been canceled on account of COVID, as if that were the immediate and most lethal threat. But it seems to me against the backdrop of what has survived, the remnant of ISIS, that would pose, I, I think, a more existential threat. Oh. Yet you, you don't seem to be bothered by that. No, no, no not at all. I mean, um, ISIS was just one episode of so many of so many difficulties. Yeah. Uh, I mean, speaking of ISIS, Mosul, for example, that it came after five times of really real threats. They killed one of uh, <clears throat> my, my friends, uh, Father Raghid, in 2007 after celebrated mass. And they told him, <clears throat> we've told you not to open the church. And he said, I can't, I, I just can't. And they shoot him like killed with the subdeacons, three subdeacons who were with him. The following year, the bishop of, of Mosul. And so uh, it was like a series of, of this kind of, of threats. Then ISIS came with, with the conditions of Islam or Jizya, which is enslavement or, or facing the sword. And the Christians decided to leave everything and come to Erbil or to go to, to Duhok, to other dioceses. So that was always there. You know, we think in terms of election cycles here in America, but what I hear in your words, but also in your heart, you know, to be Catholic means to think in terms of centuries, you know, generations. Yeah, millennia. Millennia. That's what <laughs> yeah. we're hearing now, you know. Right. And, and that's the only way the faith could have survived, you know. When I think about the Chaldean Christians that I've known in Michigan, they're the ones who've come, you know, in the thousands. But I mean, they're tough as nails. You know, I, I have two sons in the seminary up in Detroit, and they study alongside of the Chaldeans, and they're like, they might be from Iraq, but they are Iraq. You know, we are a sponge compared to them. You know, it's like, how do you flourish in the desert? You better have deep roots, you know? And that's uh, something to be grateful for, and also something for us to take into serious consideration, because, you know, we've been relatively free from persecution, or what you know, what we would call persecution is mild in comparison to what you have faced. You know, to see ISIS is just one chapter mm -hmm. in a series that goes back to the second century. Speaking of the Chaldeans uh, in Detroit and San Diego, uh, feeling responsible, collective responsibility in, in, in that sense that we, and we and they consider themselves like Joseph, Joseph, Joseph sent to Egypt ahead of, right. Right. Ahead of uh, all yeah. of his brothers. So yeah. when time would come, 
you are there. And they were really, really generous in their prayers, their solidarity since the 80s oh, yeah. towards us. They their, never forget. No, never, never at all. I mean, it's, I mean, I can't tell you how much, how much they made a big difference in the lives of so many. I mean, until today, you have a family adopting a family in, in Turkey or Lebanon or Jordan or even in Iraq. Uh, whatever there is a need, they are there. Uh, I mean, I, I'm really, we are really grateful for all our, I mean, brothers and sisters, Chaldeans in, in America and also in Europe, Canada and Australia. But this is the, I mean, we are part of one family, one family. Amen. Uh, and we have much more to talk about. So please stay with us as Franciscan University Presents continues. We've been working with Catholic University of Erbil, and it is flourishing. They serve all faiths, the Catholic faith, they work with the Yazidis that have been persecuted and have come, the Muslims. And so when we think about the worldwide church, this is an example of that, and they're academically excellent. Walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. You'll explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage in the Holy Land, Poland, France, Austria, Italy, and more destinations. Find out more at franciscan.edu pilgrimages. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We're talking about religious persecution in the Middle East. And maybe, Archbishop, if you would, you are part of the Chaldean community. And speak a little bit to that, but then also what your community suffered over the last many years. The Chaldean Church is part of what's called the Church of the East. Uh, you know, there were two parts, the Persian and the Roman parts. So kindly that border slipped the church, what we called Eastern and Western. And we were we lived as a Christians in, in that part of uh, what we called the, within the Persian Empire. The first 300 centuries were really very difficult in, when it comes first to... First 300 th centuries. Just, yeah. I mean, no, it's yeah, so great. It's really where, I mean... It's great. I mean, where, I mean... We, we had lots of martyrs, and but within that period, still we have some of the oldest hymns from the community, then which we still celebrate. Uh, I mean, uh, um, in in the mass um, after the fourth century, middle of the fourth century, there was some kind of peaceful existence, which really helped the Christian to go beyond that uh, part of the world to go to up to China. And uh, we have a flourishing uh, church. Um, I mean, in the year 627, uh, there was a, a big synod for the bishops of the Church of the East uh, in, in a place near Qatar, existing Qatar. Uh, to organize the work of the missionaries towards Iran, Afghanistan, and to China. Um, of course, with the coming of Islam, we've lost so many of these big dioceses. Um, by, by the, I would say, in the 1553, a group of bishops also went to uh, Rome and declared their union with the, with the Vatican, with Pope of Rome, and the, then. Though that name came the Chaldeans of Babylon, which means that they are the Catholic part of the Church of the East, and still the other part is the Assyrian in, in, in many. And we have also with us the, uh, the Syriac 
Catholic Church, Syriac Orthodox Church, um, and the Armenians after the the, the persecution that uh, that happened. So it's a it's a little uh, what you call multi churches uh, around there. The Chaldeans are the majority in the country, and. Before 2003, we are talking about one million and a half Christians. Today, we talk about less than 250,000 Christians. Uh, I would say that, yes, we've moved. We were always like, uh, I mean, missionary in, in, in a sense, uh, but today more than ever. I mean, we see ourselves uh, that, yes, we are still a missionary church uh, within the environment uh, which has been assigned to us by God, and we'll try to do our best in this mission. You know, this provides a model for us to learn from, because here in the West, when we think about the church in relation to a secular society, I think really the only model we have is Christendom, the Roman Empire, the conversion of the Roman Empire. And we forget that the church in the East, especially in Persia and beyond, spread so that the Thomas Christians in India as well as the Chaldeans who have roots that go back all the way to the beginning. They provide us other models that we should probably go back and rediscover to learn from because we're not going to be seeing Christendom resurrected anytime soon, if ever again. No, I think there's a lot we can learn from their community. Yeah, I mean, to flourish in the most adverse circumstances and to bear witness in the heroic, you know, in the heroic... Yeah, I think Catholics in the West need to be a lot more docile when it comes to the instruction that you all can uh, impart. You've been on a long journey that stretches all the way back. American Catholics can get somewhat pompous about the antiquity of the church in this country. Back in the 1500s, the Spanish uh, missionaries in Florida and California, and then we have this, this wonderful diocese in Baltimore and Bardstown, Kentucky. I mean, that's less than 200 years old. Yeah. But you guys have been at it for millennia. <laughs> yeah, that's why, I mean, His Holiness, uh, I mean, uh, Pope Francis came just to get not the attention of the Muslims about that, but also of the whole Catholic Church. And he, really, he made it difficult for all people because if he was there, so who is the bishop or priest would say, well, I will not go to, to visit Iraq because I will tell him, okay, Pope was here, so yeah, yeah, please. Yeah. Right. I mean, so you got me there, so. Oh, well, uh, no, that was really, <laughs> I mean, for us was really a, a moment of joy that to, sh- to see the whole uh, Christians, um, brothers and sisters in America being present with you and with Father David Dufresne and with the rest of the delegation who came to visit. Yeah, it's, it's a history that we have to learn from one another in, in the time of difficulties. Pope Benedict also, um, he also, he called for a special synod in 2010 for the Church of the East, and he called it uh, Church of the Martyrs. Uh, I mean, St. John Paul II wanted to really start the Jubilee year uh, celebration from Ur, from the land of Abraham oh, I to see. start. But I yeah. mean, for, for political issues, uh, it was, I mean, stopped that. So always you have, I mean, His Holiness attention is there yeah. to learn from, from, from that history because it's one, it's one body of Christ. It's right. one body of yeah. Christ. Yeah. Well, the visit from Francis, was that the first time that a vicar of Christ had, had arrived? Yes, yes, that was Never before. Never before. Yeah, yeah I think what you were saying is, is important is that 
In the United States, I was just sharing with somebody with one of the laws that was just written. He was so upset, and he said he was so entitled as a Christian here. I mean, your world has been this trying to live and navigate being a faithful Christian in a world that not just you're going to be inconvenienced, you can be martyred. And that's, I, I walked back from my time with you saying, you use the word discipleship and we use the word discipleship very differently, mm -hmm. very differently. Yeah, for us, you cannot compromise with the culture. For us, you cannot really say, okay, we could find a way. No, it's either to be Christian or not. There is no way that, uh, and actually, if, I mean, we always say this, if some people would say, yeah, secularism is coming and religion would be dead. No, the, just the, what we call the, the rising of all of these extremist groups in all the religions, so it's not just, just Islam, would show, no, I mean, religion matters. So there is no way to compromise. It's either to be who you are or not. And also the community, the society wants you also to have this clear, it's either cold or wrong. I mean, there is no way in, in between. So yes, for us uh, to be Christian means to be Christian. Yes, respecting the others who is different, uh, try to find way of uh, mutual respect, mutual dialogue, but that's not uh, to, to give up some of the, right. what we call Christian values that, that we, we hold strong in that. Right. Well, the, the fact that uh, the religious sense permeates so deeply uh, the consciousness of, of human beings, especially in your part of the world, uh, it's an absolute, and yet it has taken very divisive form and shape uh, in that world. And so that complicates uh, this need for dialogue. I mean, how is that working out for you? We are, I mean, as... Uh as a Christian uh, people there, and I mean, leading that community, we always say when, when religious would be politically motivated, it would create division, it would create also wars, disputes. And we tell our brothers and sisters, the Muslims, please, we were in this before. And so many people were also in this before you. Uh, try to learn from history, trying to learn. Because, of course, we are not talking about Christian and Muslims disputes here in war, because we are talking about Shia and, and Sunnah. I mean, yes. that's, that's yeah. part. I mean, yeah. the ISIS deprived three million Sunnis from their, from their homes before they did to us and to the Yazidis, in, in a way. So it's a circle of violence. When, when religion would be politically motivated, it's, it's really very dangerous. And so that's why we are trying to tell them, learn. We cannot do it for you because right. I, actually we cannot be the one who interpret Islamic text. They have to do it. Right. And they have to learn how to do it, learning from, from their brothers in the house of Abraham. Because for a reason or not, I mean, some Muslims, will, they would say, we are the sons of Ishmael, the the son of Abraham, and we say, but the Jewish, we are the sons of Isaac. So we say, okay, I'll tell them, okay, we are in one house. <laughs> Learn. <laughs> Learn. Whether I, Ishmael or Isaac or whoever is there, I know that the house of Abraham has so many, so many sons and daughters there. So they have to do it. I, I think we have to wait also. I'm sorry to say this. Until they do it, probably we will 
be facing more difficulties because sometimes we are also the collateral damage of, of, of their disputes in, in, in the sense. You know, the Christian faith in general, but I think Catholic Christianity especially, Western, Latin, or Eastern, has this understanding of life that is not primarily political. Politics is downstream from culture, and culture emerges from marriage and family and also, you know, neighborhood, parish, but it's rooted in the sacramental life as we are members of Christ, and that's not a metaphor. It is a mystery, but it is a reality. It is a metaphysical reality, and to live that out and then to discover that you can face other religions and other forces that absolutize power and politics and fear. And you can flourish in those circumstances. You know, it, it seems to me that that is why we have hope. Uh, no matter whether, whether we live in a secularized society, you know, because I think that secularism is leading us to recognize that the only thing that is real and public is politics and power. And we have a lot of lessons to learn to recognize that we too can flourish by creating, you know, by becoming creative minorities, or that's how Pope Benedict put it, but recognizing that communities have survived for nearly 2,000 years, moving from chapter to chapter in terms of persecution. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here grasping for words, which is not something I experience very frequently, because it's not only an inspiration, it, it, it is also, uh, it's exhilarating. It, it's scary too, and so, uh, I think we ought to be taught not only the examples, but also the history of the community to learn our lessons too, to find the analogies and the parallels between you and us. And uh, I'm going to be talking to Bishop Francis about, you know, what the Chaldeans can do, can come, come down here and teach us, you know. Uh, you know it, we believe in, in God, the Lord of history. Right. I mean, some people would ask me always this question: Would the Christianity survived will survive in in in, in Iraq? I said, Well, the one who made it survive for two thousand years, he is responsible for that. Right. It's not my. I am just a servant, a worker, ambassador, whatever call it. And in his mission, in his work, he has to care for it. It's not. I mean, yeah, I will do my job. I will do my service. Uh, but here uh, you touched the word about, uh, you, I mean, you mentioned the word hope. Hope the, there is not just a wish. No, it's a call for responsibility that we know it's going to survive if we work with him strong enough, dedicated enough to make it to survive. I mean, it's a call for work. It's uh, together to make it uh, a survival, but most importantly, a thriving community. It's not enough to survive. No, no, you have to really work for, and that's the real hope. Uh, I'm sure, I do believe that it's going to thrive and be part of God's plan for, for the universe. You know, in the last 10 years of his life, St. Thomas Aquinas developed a much more penetrating insight into the nature of hope, that the essence of hope is trust. It's an abiding trust where you trust God at every moment. Mm -hmm. And that's how hope grows. And that's a uh, great place to start. Stop and stay with us. We'll be back in a moment for more from Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. I would
would welcome people to look back on the footage from when the Pope was in Erbil, because I think it's going to give them a real um, authentic picture of the joy that is in Nankawa and the people of Iraq. There is such a presence of the Holy Spirit there. And when we were traveling to the Mass, on the streets were Muslims and Christians together celebrating this moment, this moment in history where the world saw Iraq in a different light. And so I think it's very powerful and we're so blessed to be accompanying them right now. What if you discovered a university with unmatched science, faculty, and programs? A place where you didn't have to choose science over faith. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, you'll find faith-inspired, student-focused, research-driven programs leading to satisfying careers in medicine, scientific research, engineering, computer science, and many more science and health fields. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, education is more than just a word, it's a discovery. Welcome back and thank you so much for joining us. You're watching Franciscan University Presents, which we record in the Comart studio here at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Our students are operating the cameras and the equipment. The members of our theology faculty, Dr. Regis Martin and Dr. Scott Hahn and I are discussing religious persecution in the Middle East. Our guest Archbishop is from the Archbishop of Erbil. He's also a Redemptorist, which we haven't mentioned yet yes. already, which is certainly worthwhile. Um, and maybe just to begin this last section, what was the enduring message of the Holy Father's uh, visit that just has continued to resonate in your heart? It's the uh, call uh, for fraternity. Uh, that's really, he chooses his, this word, very special one, uh, because we are all brothers sister brothers and sisters uh, uh, to we are called to build and uh, really to make this world a better world together and even when it comes to the in the context of interfaith interreligious dialogue it's uh, it's a unique one because it's not about uh, human friendship but fraternity because as friends we might have some disputes talks debates and then we'll end relationship but as a brothers of one family, even if we disagree with each other, at the end, we are brothers. I mean, you cannot, you cannot really uh, deny uh, the fact that you are my brothers in, in the sense. So that, that's the word that, uh, that he brought. That's a message of fraternity that, that he went with to, to Egypt, to Cairo, to Al-Azhar and then in Abu Dhabi signing in. And then when he went to, uh, when he went to Najaf to meet Ayatollah uh, Sistani and stayed there. And I'm, I'm glad that there was really no much talks giving to the media about that, just to be together, to be together. And the impact uh, of that, that the statement from the office of Sistani came and for, for the first time they mentioned Christians as citizens of Iraq. They have the rights as a citizens of Iraq. Oh, we said, oh God, he made it. He made it in a way that for the first time to have this important concept there that we strived and fight for to find it in, in, the, in the constitution uh, that we are also the citizens of Iraq with full rights and, and privileges and duties and responsibilities. So that's, I would say, I admire that, that the way that he approached the others 
But at the same time, as I said, when he spoke with Iraqi politicians, there was no way of really playing with words. Oh, you need reconcil to for the you to reconcile yourself one another for, for politically fight corruption and really taking care of the young people. You know this um, notion of fraternity is like a double-sided coin. You know, on the one hand, you see the unity, the solidarity that is intrinsic to who we are as human beings, and from that should flow respect and rights and dialogue. On the other hand, you turn the coin over and you recognize that since the dawn of history, Cain and Abel, mm -hmm. Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, Scott and Fritz, my brother, you know. I mean, nobody fights Leia like brothers. Rachel. Yes, that's Leia right. Always. Yeah, and, and, and so the, the fraternal aspect of the solidarity, I think, also unveils the mystery of why rivalries that are fraternal are often deeper. It's not just like a fist fight with a neighbor, you know, and a week later you forget about it, you're moving on. I mean, brothers have got to recognize the unity on the one hand, the history of conflict on the other, but the potential for reconciliation. And it's not going to be because we basically go down the checklist and believe everything in common, at least not anytime soon. So there is, at the end of the discussion, I think, a very wise realism mm -hmm. about recognizing that let's begin with fraternity, we'll understand who we all are, why we're divided, but why reconciliation is not just possible, but absolutely necessary and fitting if in fact we are brothers. And that's why he chose to the message from the Gospel of, of Matthew, our Lord uh, saying, you are all brothers. That's, right. That's the message he came with. I mean, and it's not came. just a lowest common denominator. No. It's not just low-hanging fruit. No. It's being honest and realistic where this is the only place dialogue can yeah. take place. But it has to be uh, recognized that uh, the brotherhood of man, if it's going to have any uh, lasting uh, validity, has to be anchored to the common fatherhood of God. And if we have if we don't have a shared conception of God, then the notion of brotherhood becomes fractured and compromised as well. Uh, the fratricidal conflicts that, that pretty much mark this long, uh, bloody journey of the human, uh, uh, the human race, Cain and Abel. I mean, that was the first act. The first crime was a crime of fratricide. We, we fought a bloody civil war in this country, and it was basically a fratricidal conflict, brother against brother. And there's no way to reconcile unless the grace of God steps in to dissolve the differences. But how does that happen with people who are resistant to that grace? We have to remind them, and especially there, because we are people of, uh, even when it comes to Islam, they will say we are people of the book, Jewish and Christians, and of course, uh, Islam. Uh, and from that book, we learn, we have, we have learned that, I mean, Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, we know that he went for the blessing, which meant power, to be the Lord on upon his upon the house and his brother, and wealth, uh, and of course plenty of wealth and family. And after 22 years of being 
away from home. He came back and he tried. He tried to reconcile on his way. Did not work. The only one who got him back is to fight with God or with the angel of God. God is the one who will provide you with the grace of reconciliation. So when he went to, I mean, to meet his, his brother Esau, he gave up the power, bowing down That's seven, right, seven times. times. And I'm your servant. I don't yeah. need power. He gave him, a, I mean, sheep and cattle. Right. I don't need wealth. And he kept the family for himself. And matter, God is the one who brings. And that's why I would say those who would think that religion is the cause of violence, I would say, no, no, religion actually, if we listen to God, uh, it will bring the reconciliation. Because I'm, I'm, I'm sure the Encyclopedia of Wars registered over 800 wars um, since the when, since the history, we know it. Only 10% of it was for what you call motivated religiously. But religion was always, if we would listen to God, will, will be the solution to reconcile everyone. Because we will talk about one father, yeah. our father, and which I did not find any difficulty te teaching this prayer to the students of, uh, in, in our schools in Baghdad, and they, 90% of that school were Christians, and they pray our Father, because, yeah, our Father, it's nice in, in a way. And then uh, th that same Father would remind us that we are all brothers. So it needs, of course, it needs authentic humiliation, humbleness uh, to, to listen to the text as it is, and to listen to, especially to, to our Lord, who is teaching us that we are all brothers, praying our Father. Yeah, I mean, this also reminds me of uh, the deep mystery that the scriptures give us as the word of God. Because what you just said, Regis, is right. You know, common fatherhood. And we share that in Abraham. And yet, unlike Cain and Abel, who had the same mother and father, and Jacob and Esau, who had the same father and mother, you know, Ishmael and Isaac had the same father, but different mothers. Hagar, the Egyptian, was a concubine, a slave. And obviously, you know, uh, Sarah was the free wife, and that's where the inheritance goes. And so it's almost as though you have in that story something more than just a nice narrative. You have a prophetic insight into the two different ways of relating to a father, and that is Abba, Father, our Father who art in heaven, and Allah, a master. And we are obedient slaves. We love the master, but we do not presume to be children of God, that God is not strictly a father. You know, there is where I think you have to proceed with great discretion and a kind of evangelical humility, but a holy boldness too. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, the spirit of sonship, without whom we can't say, Abba, Father. You know, and this is why you, you preach the gospel and then you allow the Lord of history 
to decide what to do with yeah. that. You know, somebody said that uh, in a conversation, uh, clarity is the philosopher's courtesy. Uh, and we need to speak plainly uh, about this. The differences are really quite sundering, and I don't know that they're so easily overcome by cheap conversation. I, I know that you're not trafficking in that, but it's so easy, I think, to slough over the differences, which are profound. I, I mean, I remember when Pope St. John Paul came out with that extraordinary book, Crossing the threshold of, of hope. Uh, he was accosted by that question. What about Islam? And he was pretty stern. Uh, he said, look, there are many beautiful names they ascribe to God in the Quran, majesty, power, wisdom, but redeemer is not there. The God of Islam is, is outside of history. He doesn't enter into the drama of the human struggle. He's indifferent or hostile. And the relationship to him is one of enslavement. I mean, how do we disabuse these people of, of that? Because it's crippling. Yeah, but I mean, we were talking yesterday as a Christian, as a Christian, that we are called to holiness. And calling for holiness means lifting our lives and I mean, all our thoughts, hearts, minds to God. And you need to, you need wings. Fear of God, he is most powerful. That's right. Yeah. We are his servants, we, we, we are servants. his slaves and love of God, okay, sons, daughters of God. And if we stay just with this, we are going to fight. Because I would tell you, I love God more than you. I fear God more than you. And we will show this and we'll, we'll come up with dispute and I mean, divisions and wars, because who would love God more than this, and more than me and you? That's, that's what happened among religious. And, uh, but when we forget that also, the heart of, uh, that's been lifted by these two wings is the good deeds, that the kindness that you show to the other. That's, that's the heart that God is going to receive. And our Lord says this at the, at the final day of judgment, you are going to be asked about the hungry, the thirsty, those who are. That's, that's the way that we could really also come to all those religious and religions and saying, yes, you have fear of God. I know that you have a love of God. Pope Benedict said rightly, I mean, the mission of the church is to show the fear of God. That's the liturgy and to show the love of God, to tell people how sweet is our Lord, but the good deeds right. to be, to be a church and missionary with taking to the world, having to the world the kindness, the compassion of God towards the needy, the people. So when we forget all of this, we stay either with fear of God, who's going to show that he has more fear of God or more love of God, and we forget, okay, what about good deeds? What about the work of mercy That's, that would change the whole world to make it a place for God in, in a sense? You know, and what Jesus does in introducing a concept that we're so accustomed to, we recognize no longer how revolutionary it was, the love of enemies. Because that becomes the proof that we recognize that God is the father of all, even those who deny his fatherhood. And so to love those enemies who are half-brothers yeah. is the only supernatural proof. You know, I, I think of that valediction that Thomas More spoke on the scaffold, that I hope we meet merrily in heaven. And he's saying that to his, his persecutors who have conspired to kill him. 
Amen. And, uh, thank you so much and stay with us. We'll have some final thoughts on religious persecution in the Middle East in just a moment. Stay with us. We had the privilege of being in Iraq during the papal visit at the invitation of His Excellency Archbishop Wardah. And it was really an amazing experience for an American to see the importance of the papal theme and the papal message to the people of Iraq, because it's really a different message than you might expect in America. Here in America, as Catholics, the most serious threat we face is, of course, 60 million lives lost to abortion. Whereas in Iraq, they don't face a serious threat from abortion, but they do face an everyday threat to their personal security. The Iraqi Christian community, which was founded by St. Thomas, is nearly gone from 1.5 million to less than 300,000. And the Pope is very clear about the importance of keeping the Iraqi Christian community in Iraq and their importance to the overall stability and peace for the region. There is a place where education begins and faith and reason connect. Franciscan University of Steubenville's online programs will advance your career through an e-learning experience that's both academically excellent and passionately Catholic. With online degrees taught by full-time professors in theology, catechetics, business, education, and other disciplines, you can earn your master's degree online without changing your lifestyle. Find out more today at franciscan.edu, where your faith and career can connect online. Franciscan University presents. We've come to our final segment. So, Regis, if you could start us off with your thoughts. Yes, uh, Archbishop, thank you very much for coming. Uh, uh, it's an honor uh, and uh, a delight. Uh, and uh, you testify uh, to a church that enjoys not only a pedigree that traces all the way back practically to the beginning, but uh, a record of heroism. Uh, and, and courage that is so impressive, breath-catching uh, even. There's a, a beautiful uh, distinction that von Balthasar makes in his book, Raising the Bastions. He says, you know, you can, you can kill sanctity, but you can't refute it. You, you can shoot the people who, who exemplify it, but you can't vanish uh, or vaporize uh, the, 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 the movement, the energy, the grace and eros of, of love. Which brings me to the other comment I, I'd like to make. Uh, you rightly point out that we have to show by our deeds uh, the love of God. And, and uh, Saint, uh, good heavens, John of the Cross tells us that in the evening of our lives, we shall be tested on love. And, and love is a lord of terrible aspect. It's pretty exacting. But, but it seems to me that the really decisive uh, difference is not how much do you fear God or how, how much do you try to love God, but rather how much does he love you? I mean, we were chosen by him. He loved you uh, before you were moved to make some inadequate and feckless response. The love of God is overpowering. It, it, it's so overpowering that it has assumed a name. It became concretely incarnate in the person of Christ. So it, it's not... It's not God who is powerful. It's God who is love. And that insight, I think, needs to be somehow restored and... and uh, made fresh again in the dialogue with, uh, with Islam. Otherwise, we're just uh, spinning wheels. Mm -hmm. 
Scott, final thoughts. Well, well building on what Regis has just said, um, you know, love is a word, it's a feeling, it, until it becomes an action, and until it becomes something of a reflection of God's love. And we were talking about the love of enemies at the end, and I was just reminded of what Paul tells the Romans, that God shows his love for us in that while we were yet enemies, mm -hmm. Christ died for us. Christ didn't just come to heal us, to forgive us, but to die for us. You know, and so martyrdom is more than just losing your life, it's giving it like he did for us. And, and so I hope that this opens up not only our heads with truths that might be bothersome and ancient, but it opens up, it cracks open our hard hearts to recognize the fraternal solidarity that we have with Chaldean Christians, but also Chaldean non-Christians. One is supernatural and everlasting. The other one is natural but real. You know, and I think that uh, at the end of the day, my takeaway is that until, you know, until sons of God outserve those who are mere servants, then our witness has no authenticity. You know, and that is what happens at the last hour when we, when we give up our life, but really don't just lose it. We, we make it a gift in response to our Lord, but also in response to our enemies, like Stephen did for Saul. You know, that blood is what cracked open Saul's hard heart and made him an apostle and make it so, Lord, once again. Thank you, Scott. Thank Archbishop, you. final thoughts. Well, I'm, I'm really, uh, I mean, I mean, and, and astonished to, to, to listen that, yes, good deeds and love of God and also serving, that's what makes us. And I would really, from, from this, from here, I would like to, uh, to, to thank uh, all the Americans, uh, yes, Many people would think that the American intervention in 2003 made them mass. Okay, we'll not go for that. But uh, many would forget also that we have also some good, good Americans. Uh, I mean, men and women working with us there, trying to build from, from within and showing that we are not just superpower with, with weapons. No, no, we have also something to share, to learn with each other. And um, few of them have served with me for, for 10 years, mm -hmm. trying to raise awareness and show. So it's a big word of thanks because I know that they would really be sad if I would, I mean, angry if I mentioned their names, but, uh, but yes, big word of thanks to them and to all of the people who are helping us and showing that, yeah, America is not really sorry bad no no we have great men and women who are will, who are willing to 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 serve and yes just the new initiatives also with the franciscan university that we have young men and women coming for a year to to serve in in school or in the university in in erbil and to meet also muslims and to show them listen we are we are also people of God like you, and we would like really to help you learning English, math, etc. But it's just to be with them in solidarity in person, physically, to, to tell, no, no, the world of God is good. It's we are responsible to continue that goodness and to flourish it, or sometimes, unfortunately, and that's the sin, yeah, probably to break it in, in a sense. Amen. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we have a handout. It's a, an article that was done on my visit with uh, the Archbishop and the Holy Father's uh, visit. Uh, we, we did it with National Catholic Register. 
Uh, if you're interested in receiving that, it would be yours free simply by going online to faithandreason.com or by calling the number that you'll see uh, below in just a moment. Uh, again, Archbishop, I want to thank you so much for being here, but also thank you uh, for inviting me to be with you and, and your community and the relationship that Franciscan University has with yourself and the Catholic University that you're starting there. Uh, I'm, I'm quite certain will be a blessing for us for, for many ways. Um, I, I walked away from spending four or five days with you and your community, and there, I don't know exactly what would be the way to describe it other than... Um, it was, it was humbling. It was a profoundly humbling experience to, to be with the men and women, to hear their stories, to hear the struggle and the difficulties that they've gone through. That again, that there's just beyond us. I mean, the, what, what your what your community has has persevered through and loved through and cared for was just humbling. Was really the word. But I was struck by uh, it was a quote from yourself about what your hope was that the Holy Father would see when he came to his community and what he would experience. And, and you didn't talk about, well, I hope he understands all the suffering we had. I hope he understands what it is to be a martyr. You didn't say anything. You said, oh, I'm really looking forward to the Holy Father to see our joy, that that's what you wanted them to see. And, and that's what I experienced in, in the days with you, the, the joy of the people, the faithfulness of the people, the Mass with the Holy Father. I've been to 50 papal events. There was nothing like the experience of your community in the presence, in the prayer, in the worship, in the liturgy, that was a joy that was something I've never experienced before. So, so allow me to be a part of that. I'm truly and eternally grateful. So thank you so much for being with us. I just invite you, if you would, if you just close us with prayer and your blessing. We'll pray the Our Father. I'll pray it in, in Aramaic. And of course, I would ask all, all of the people to join me for the, for the blessing of the all persecuted Christians and for also for the all persecuted people because of their faith. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And thank you so much, Archbishop. And thank you for joining us. It's been a blessing. God bless you. Download a free handout on today's topic at faithandreason.com, where you can also watch past episodes of Franciscan University Presents. Or request the handout by emailing us at presents at franciscan.edu or reach us by phone for today's handout by calling 800-783-6447 that's 800-783-6447